It's the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, March 25th. We begin with the Supreme Court of Canada's decision to uphold the federal carbon tax legislation. We get reaction to the decision from Dan McTagg, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Pfizer has started human trials on a new pill to treat coronavirus symptoms at the earliest signs of the illness. We speak with an epidemiologist about what this new tool means in the battle against COVID-19. Today is Cerebral Palsy Awareness Day. We catch up with the Executive Director of Cerebral Palsy Kids and Families to talk about how common the disease is here in Canada and how the local chapter of the Cerebral Palsy Association plans to celebrate its 70th anniversary. And finally, he's not your regular feline. He's Gary the Adventuring Cat. We talk with Gary's human about the many adventures they've shared and how Gary has become an internet sensation. The Supreme Court of Canada says the federal carbon price is entirely constitutional. It was a split decision, came down this morning, just uh, 15, 20 minutes ago. It upholds a pivotal part of the Liberal Climate Change Plan that accounts for at least one-third of the emissions Canada aims to cut over the next decade. Dan McTagg is former Liberal MP and President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, and he joins us now to share his thoughts on this morning's decision. Good morning, Dan. Oh, good morning, Steve. Good morning, Andy. All right. Well, the decision has come down. Were you surprised by it? No, not at all. Um, I didn't think the Supreme Court was going to do anything but uphold. What I did surprise me was some of the language used by the majority, uh, led by the Chief Justice, when uh, he strayed, obviously, beyond the issue of constitutionality uh, and uh, provincial versus federal jurisdiction and uh, began to suggest that... uh, Climate change is a quote-unquote real and existential threat to humanity. So when you go from making a decision based on uh, on law and stray into the area of politics, uh, uh, alarmism, and of course the, the rhetoric of the, uh, of the Greens, and that uh, suggests to me that there was something far more to this decision. And of course the Supreme Court wants to make those kind of decisions and stray into the political areas, which they've done many times then they ought to perhaps uh, s- uh, signal that they are prepared to enter politics and uh, maybe put their name on the ballot in the next election. I'm being facetious, of course, but uh, this to me uh, is a very uh, disturbing uh, uh, underlying message that I think the Supreme Court uh, ought not to have given. Well, we're hearing the decision on this final, but what's next for Alberta? Are there any more uh, tools in the toolbox that, to, to try to change things up? Well, I guess you really have to go along with what the court has said. It, uh, it is the uh, final arbiter in terms of any decision in the land. But the, I think the reality here is that Canadians are going to have to confront the reality that uh, we, uh, and that's Albertans as well, that we are going to have not one but two carbon taxes. We're the only country in the world that's going to attempt to do this. Uh, that is a, the clean fuel standard, which we've talked about before. Uh, which will add a significant burden to manufacturing, to farming, to uh, the energy sector, to say the least. And then the existing carbon tax, which will uh, not just go up beyond what was campaigned for in 2019, that was $50 a ton, but now $170 a ton. Uh, If there's any existential threat, uh, I would suggest the Supreme Court and others who think this is a great idea, uh, they may very well be to the stability of the economic future of this country. There's no way you can take out the manufacturing energy and farming sector in one fell swoop uh, while you're trying to achieve an objective which no other country is crazy enough to attempt. So Dan, what's the bottom line to we as Albertans, we as Canadians and our pockets? Well, the pockets, if it comes out of the pocketbooks, it's a slam dunk. This is going to hit you hard uh, and a lot of it will not be rebated and it will mean significant inflation and significant dislocation. So if you're in the mining sector, the farming sector, the energy sector, 
your consumer expect to pay a lot more. Perhaps this is about controlling civilization and controlling our, our destinies. I guess we really have only one response to the Supreme Court and other folks in trendy uniforms, and that's uh, our vote, and uh, that's going to count. It's also going to, we have to really make sure that we have politicians in this country that are not prepared to bend and uh, are prepared to stick up on principle and say that this, uh, the climate modeling is wrong. And of course, we know that uh, alarmism has no, pace, no, no basis in, uh, in fact in our, in our future as a country. So we have a federal election coming up, apparently. Mr. Trudeau uh, feels that this is important to call at a time when we have a, a real existential threat. It's called a pandemic. Maybe it's time for uh, Canadians to uh, recognize that uh, the price they're going to have to pay to achieve nothing is going to be uh, extravagant and impossible. So we nobody can you know um, guesstimate or look into the crystal ball when it comes to the future of uh, this election or next one. But let's say CPC finds themselves in power, uh, it's a, something that can easily be done to overturn a Supreme Court decision. Yes, it can. It just means the federal government has the right to do whatever it wants. But uh, whatever, whoever's your federal government, when you have NDP, uh, Greens, Bloc, and Liberals all lined up, and apparently. Even some conservatives uh, suggesting that carbon taxes are wonderful and that we have to accept climate reality. Look, uh, the IPCC, the, the organization, the international organization, isn't clear on the modeling. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it seems to me that we're taking quite a leap here, especially a country that's extremely vulnerable, much colder than most nations around the world. If we want to go down this road, we had best be prepared uh, for the economic and social consequences. And I think those will lead effectively to constitutional crisis, especially when provinces like Quebec, which get a bit of a pass right now with their own carbon uh, position, is, is imposed, uh, you know, what could amount to a tenfold increase in the price of carbon for that province and others that have seen, seemingly decided, like British Columbia, to go along with this nonsense. Dan, thanks for sharing your perspective this morning. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Sue. Take care, Andy. You too. That is Dan McTagg. Canadians for Affordable Energy. A new pill being tested by Pfizer sounds promising. It may have the ability to stop the coronavirus from replicating before patients get very sick. Dr. Rewat Dionanden joins us now to give us some background on how it works. Good morning to you, Dr. Dionanden. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. I just want to clarify uh, this Pfizer pill that's in the works and being tested out. This is not a pill version of a vaccine. Is that right? That is correct. What it is, it's a protease inhibitor. And what is that, you ask? Well, viruses work by entering your cell and hijacking the machinery of your cell to create more copies of itself. And one of the ways it does that is by, you know, using the machinery, the factories in your cell to crank out proteins. So viruses have an an enzyme called a protease that allows a couple of things, allows them to get entrance to your cell, and and it's like a scissor. It it cuts out proteins to make new copies of itself. So this drug inhibits that enzyme. It's a protease inhibitor. We've used similar things in the past for, you know, uh, other diseases, other viruses, including HIV. So the idea is this kind of drug just stops the disease from replicating, so it prevents you from getting sicker. So sicker. So it's not going to stop people from getting the virus and getting sick, but hopefully, you know, what happens down the road once you do get the virus, that might help. It might actually arrest replication okay. before disease actually takes place. So once you've been exposed, once the virus is in your cell, it may actually stop it from actually becoming technically a disease. Oh, okay. So it's unclear. It's unclear. It, it depends entirely on how efficacious it turns out to be. 
We have learned much more about vaccines and, and actually uh, drugs in the pharmaceutical industry, I think, as a society over the past year than we ever would have thought. Um, so we do know that there's processes. And when you talk about a trial uh, on a pill like this, how long w- would it, something like this take? Are we talking weeks, months? Right. So this particular drug is entering its phase one trial, which is the very beginning. Before the phase one, you've got the lab test, you've got the, the animal models. And based upon the lab test, you know, looking at how it works in the test tube, it seems to prevent replication of the virus. That doesn't tell us a lot because the majority of drugs that are successful in the lab don't go on to be successful in people. So the phase one trial simply tests whether or not people are going to get sick from it. So it's given to healthy people, people who have not been infected with COVID, to see what the tolerable dosage would be. Now it takes a couple of weeks to figure out. Phase two then determines how efficacious it is. And phase three is the big one. And that'll tell us exactly how well it works in the real world. So that would probably be by the end of the year, I would anticipate phase three numbers will come back. But remember, the majority of drugs fail at each of these steps. So mm-hmm. it's only a tiny minority that make it to the end. Doctor, let's just say everything goes beautifully, perfectly as planned. We do get this drug approved. It seems to do what it's supposed to do. So would you consider it sort of a, like a, an easy to use, just I take one pill and I'm good to go kind of treatment? It might be that. Yeah, it might be. We've had other protease inhibitors, you know, in the market for a while and they're pretty safe. So the kinds of, uh, you know, side effects you get are gastrointestinal events, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. And some people get some metabolic complications, uh, something called dyslipidemia, which elevated cholesterol. So that's the case. You just take a cholesterol drug. So we obviously, if it makes it to market and people start taking it, it has to be monitored by a doctor so it doesn't shorten your path to diabetes. So nothing is without a cost here. Um, but yeah, probably, you know, one, maybe a course of pills over the course of a week or so, like an antibiotic. Um, but if it gets there, that'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. That means we have this thing, uh, have this thing beaten. Dr. Dionandin, I'm wondering, because we have so many vaccines, I know in, in the province of Alberta here, you're from the uh, University of Ottawa, from, from in Alberta, we have uh, about 500,000 people haven't been vaccinated so far. So it's almost like one in eight or one in nine people. So the vaccine rollout continues. If it takes months for this pill that minimizes the effects, what could you see the use being if we have herd immunity or we've been vaccinated? Uh, would this still be used if you've had a vaccination uh, to, to minimize any effects or would this be purely for people who had not had the shot? No, because vaccination isn't perfect and vaccination will wane. The immune effects of the vaccination will wane, kind of like the flu vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. So we're anticipating COVID will become endemic. It'll be with us for many, many years, which means you need a booster shot every couple of years, possibly. This may take that requirement off the table if we can make it so unscary that you don't need to take a vaccine. So that's, you know, that's an ideal scenario. I, I anticipate that our future will, will see a combination of vaccination and treatments so that this will not become a newsworthy disease anymore. If it is something that needs to be prescribed, how do you see it? You know, if I'm just starting to feel some symptoms, perhaps I go to my doctor and they prescribe this pill just like any other medication might be prescribed? Exactly. Uh, they may give you a COVID test to confirm the diagnosis, which is the right thing to do because we don't want to give you a drug that you don't need. And also, it may be useful against future coronavirus um, variations, you know, like MERS or mm. traditional SARS. The variants, it's unclear because the protease will be different in every new, in every new variant. That's, that's something they're going to test as well. But this is, again, a, an important tool if it pans out. And by the way, there are other competitor drugs going through similar phases. Uh, we just happen to know about this one because they released the press release. Good stuff. Thank you uh, for breaking it down for us, Doctor. We appreciate it. Thank you very much.
That is Dr. Raywat Dionandan, epidemiologist and associate professor from the Faculty of Health Sciences, University of Ottawa. And there's something about that. I mean, generally, if, if you go to the doctor and they say, okay, Sue, here's your prescription, mm-hmm. go to your pharmacy, you, you know, it's it's totally not a big deal. But I've never thought of it in terms, I always thought that you've got this coronavirus vaccine and that would be it. But when it's an in, in, endemic and we're, we have it with us, I, it, it's crazy to think that that'll be on the table and not just getting, you know, the, uh, the antibiotics or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, you know, getting a cream for something else, yeah. uh, getting a prescription for your pill to minimize this uh, this illness. Imagine, he says that, you know, Pfizer's not the only one. There are others. Imagine the race for all the drugs that we don't even have any clue about right now that, that these pharmaceutical companies are, are trying to come up with that might help minimize risk, minimize symptoms, stop it altogether, anything like that. Because as we all know, pharmaceuticals, big bucks, right? Huge bucks. It's all about that. So they can come up with things that, you know, in this fight against COVID-19, if it is something that stays around forever. Wow. The money to be made. I just think of the structure in place as a result of this current pandemic to battle future. Yeah. Um, That that's the real bonus coming when we get to the other side, I would like to think for sure. 8.43 8.43 on Mornings with Sue and Andy, and today is Cerebral Palsy Awareness Day, and it is also the organization's 70th anniversary. With an update on support progress and the planned celebrations, we're joined by Cherilee Stelter, Executive Director of Cerebral Palsy Kids and Families. Good morning to you, Cherilee. Good morning to you guys. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for being here. Well, first of all, congratulations. 70 years going strong and an amazing resource for so many families. So let's uh, kick off with just how common cerebral palsy is, you know, maybe in our city, but certainly across the nation. How common is it? Uh, You know what? It it could be up to one in 500 um, births. Um, And you know what? The, The diagnosis of cerebral palsy is changing all the time where we're seeing more and more kids that are diagnosed with different, um, I guess, different levels of cerebral palsy. Like it can affect our kids in many different ways, often by limiting their speech, vision, cognitive function, but primarily mobility. Let's talk about the agency and what you've been able to accomplish over these these 70 years. Just a, an amazing history. So talk to us about, uh, you know, how where you've been and where you're going and heading. Right. So we were started off by a group of, I think, a handful of parents, five or six parents that were sitting around a kitchen table trying to decide um, how they could get better therapy, schools, services, recreational activities for their kids who were living with uh, cerebral palsy. So they formed the association and started to fundraise and just looking again at different ways that they could um, support their kids. I know back in the early days, um, our agency had a strong partnership with the Calgary Fire Department. Um, They would come and help get our kids into some sort of a... um, a bus or a car, uh, just so that they could get out, um, out in public and just um, be more, you know, in an inclusive environment. We also were part of helping the Gordon Townsend School. Um, that's a educational facility for kids that are going through surgery right now. So we were instrumental in that. Uh, we started off again with probably just a handful of parents. Um, and right now, we've got over 1,500 people on our database that our agency is serving. Shirley, how do you plan to, to mark 70 years? Or what do you have planned with the organization? 
Well, today is Cerebral Palsy Awareness Day, and we're going to kind of um, celebrate in conjunction with that Awareness Day. So today we're asking everyone to go green for CP. We're green so that we can celebrate uh, CP and just bring awareness. We're also launching our 70th anniversary fundraiser. So it's a peer-to-peer fundraiser where our members can share their stories and their journey with CP and encourage their friends and family to donate. Our goal is to raise $70,000 by having 1,000 folks donate $70. No, keep going. Okay, we, uh, I think we also wanted to have a really, really big celebration this year, uh, but yeah. I think that's going to wait for a little bit uh, till probably 2021. You know, I can only imagine how much better the support is for kids with physical disabilities, you know, 70 years from the day you started this organization, but I would imagine there's still a long way to go, isn't there? Uh, absolutely. I think... Um, um, you know what, as we continue, like one of our primary goals is family support. We want to make sure that everyone has access to resources and support. Um, we've also grown our programs. We have an adapted bike program where we ensure that every child with a physical disability will will just know the simple joy of riding a bike. You know, there's so many opportunities for our families, and we just want to make sure that they're aware of all of them. And then as, as new ones come around that we make sure that the parents are aware and children can take part in so many different inclusive Mm -hmm. activities it's uh, absolutely amazing shirley uh, congratulations on 70 years and thank you for your time this morning thank you so much that is uh, shirley stelter executive director of cerebral palsy kids and families 910 he's known around canmore and on the mountain slopes his name is gary and he's a cat. His human is James Easton, and James joins us now. Good morning, James. Hi, how are you? Excellent. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How's Gary? What's he up to this morning? Uh, Gary is asleep and a sunbeam. <laughs> Typical life for Gary the cat. He is quite the attention getter. Can you tell us how you two came together? Yeah, so Gary's actually my partner's cat. Um, she adopted him about five and a half years ago, and we met uh, not too long after that, maybe about a year later. And, uh, yeah, as we've been living together, uh, started going on adventures, and uh, and now here we are. He skis, he hikes, he paddles, and comes with us on, on lots of our trips. Was Gary always into it, or was it a case of... <laughs> and the, the claws coming out when you first tried to bring Gary on an adventure? Uh, no, so so Gary, part of the reason we started going outside with Gary was that he was always trying to escape our, our apartment. He'd always run for the door, and uh, it didn't latch all the time, so he made it out a few times, and uh, we decided if he wanted to go outside, he'd have to do it on a leash. Uh, free-roaming cats in Canmore don't last very long. Mm. So uh, it took a little while to, to train him up. He did the classic cat. Uh, you put a harness on him, and he kind of freezes up and falls over. Falls over. <laughs> but... Uh, but after he got used to it and, uh, you know, we would sit outside and we started just exploring the yard. And, and as he got comfortable with things, we would slowly, slowly work up. And so now we've been at it for, for about three years. And, uh, yeah, there's not much that phases Gary anymore. Okay, so how do you, let's, I mean, what's his favorite? Does he like best to hike, ski, or paddle? Uh, 
probably paddling okay. uh, because he can just fall asleep. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's fallen asleep while we're hiking, too, and he's riding on my shoulders. So- but, uh, yeah, he just sits sits on the front of the boat in the sun and gets rocked to sleep by the waves. Well, let's talk about the hiking or skiing. How did you How did you even just initiate him into, into the training process? Yeah, so so like I said, we we sort of started just uh, walking around the yard, and um, as he got comfortable with that, we would go to a, a little park that's close close to our house. And he's and, on your uh, shoulder the whole time, right, James? James, you there? Yeah, I'm. I'm oh, oh, you're breaking up a bit. Maybe you. stand on the other side of the house there. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Left foot in the um, air. Sorry. You still there? Yeah. So, uh, just uh, we got you back again. So, did do, is he always up on your shoulders? Is that where he hangs out? Yeah, most of the time. That's definitely his preferred way for the, uh, us to hike. Because then, when he wants to walk, he jumps off and he'll walk for a bit. And uh, when he wants to ride, he just sits at my feet and and meows a little bit. Uh, but he does have a backpack he can ride in if. Uh, the walking gets really difficult, or I'm trying to go quickly. It's a little faster to just have him ride in, in his backpack, and he's pretty happy in there. So you say backpack. I'm looking on globalnews.ca. You can see your story in, in a video. It looks like the backpack is almost, is there an attachment for your shoulders? Like, is is he secured when he's when he's up high? No, he's, uh, he's like, he's on a leash, and I just clip that to the to the backpack but he's not uh he's not tied down or anything he just balances he's pretty pretty good at it now we've been at this for a while what about when you're when you're not adventuring when gary isn't out and out and about taking on the world is he one of these cats that would love to just hide in a cardboard box and <laughs> knock things off the kitchen counter does it have the does gary have any normal tendencies oh yeah gary's uh gary's absolutely a pretty normal cat i mean he like I said, he's sleeping in a sunbeam right now. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he he wants his his food bowl full all the time, and uh, yeah, he's he's a pretty typical cat. Even on our adventures, he still finds a way to like fall asleep, or he lets me do most of the work. You know, well, I walk up the hills, and he'll walk down them. But that uh, sounds like a great gig. I, I'm on <laughs> Gary on that one. Hey, was he from a, a, a the pound, or or where did you find Gary? Or your partner? Yeah, so Gary, my partner adopted Gary from the Calgary Humane Society. Um, she had a friend who was fostering him as he recovered from um, hip surgery, and it's the same hip surgery her dog had at the same age and on the same hip. So. Uh, they were basically a matching pair, and she couldn't <laughs> she couldn't pass him up. And he was a pretty cute kitten too. So he's adorable, uh, and he's become quite the celebrity. Song. I have a friend who uh, skis at Nakiska, and uh, I guess they call him the mascot up there, is what we understand. <laughs> so, and uh, great grams of Gary. If you want to find Gary on Instagram, great grams of Gary. Thanks for joining us, James, and say hi to Gary for us when he wakes up. Okay. I will. Thanks for chatting this morning. Appreciate it. That's James Easton, who is Eastham, who is the owner of Gary the Cat, the celebrity up in Canmore. You know what? Uh, our Dave McIver is super competitive, and he just he just can't leave things alone. He knew that Gary the Cat was coming up. Right. And he has a story about his cat and uh, some of the adventures that his cat gets into <laughs> that I'm hoping. He told us off, Mike. He doesn't want to brag, but yes, he's, he super, he's like, hey, guess what? So here's the thing. Uh, his last sports is coming up. 
We'll uh, find out his cat's adventures. Uh, does his cat have an Instagram page? Well, maybe he needs one when you hear what his cat got up to last night. All right, we'll find out. Great Absolutely. grams of Gary, though. This cat is really cute, and he, and he just loves to go hiking and skiing and out on the boat. I just think it's hilarious because my cat would have none of that. Well, the funny part is, like, you know, I, I've seen bits and pieces of the video, and I had it up and running. You can go to globalnews.ca and just search Gary the Cat. But... When James had mentioned, you know, he'd be falling asleep, I didn't pay much attention until he was saying that, and I was watching the video, and when he's on the water, the cat looks like it's falling asleep. Like They're just full of adventure, uh, but sometimes it's time for that cat nap, isn't it? So. I, I think the idea of getting someone to carry you up the mountain for a hike, and then you walk down, it really sounds or carry brilliant. you, yeah, in, in the hot sun, and yeah. then they take advantage of the picnic at the top of the hill, and then carry you down. Okay. Gary's got it going on, that's for sure.